0: those things that might be considered as basic, as fundamental, and things upon which the platform of our faith are built. You'll notice then in light of the uh, next slide, which will invite us to basically consider elements in worship, you and I know that worship itself is an amazing blessing. It quite frankly is the highlight of the week. It allows us the heartfelt opportunity to express our adoration to God the gratefulness which we feel, and the time for what He has done for us. And so at a time like this one, you and I have come together, and surely one of the parts of our worship that we consider so highly is the assembly around the Lord's table. You might recall that last Lord's Day, or rather last month, we looked at worship itself as a part of our fundamental lesson. today, let's give thought then to the Lord's Supper investing our time of consideration this morning in that beautiful memorial. And as we do that, I hope that we're reminded of so many of the New Testament truths concerning and can use them to our benefit. You may notice as we come near the bottom of that slide, I make mention the word memorial. I know that we're all quite familiar with the concept of a memorial, something to encourage remembrance something to encourage, a reflection upon some major event that's occurred. You and I celebrate birthdays each year. Maybe there's a cake, maybe there's a family get-together, perhaps there's some other gift-sharing concerning that, and it's an important thing. We have anniversaries that we celebrate, and there are other particulars in life that, in fact, seemingly correlate to a memorial. But may I be quick to say that even the Lord Himself in recognition of that concept of a memorial invested into the church the memorial we're about to study today. As you begin all that, I think it entirely right as we transition the slide to note first about the institution. Because isn't it true you can learn a great deal usually about a particular item as you reflect upon the way it came about as you reflect upon what it is that brought that thing to be the way that it is. As you and I revisit Wednesday evening of the crucifixion week, we are brought back to a time when the Lord was going to be crucified, not many hours hence. On that very night, of course, He had assembled with those apostles in that upper room, and to do so, to celebrate the Passover. The Passover feast had been one that the Jews had, of course, given consideration to for approximately 1,500 years. So this was something they had known all their lives. They had appreciated it that same time of year. Every year, they were supposed to keep it. Needless to say, this one was going to be very special. This one was going to be unlike the others. Let's retrace briefly, admittedly, some of the things that took place. I've asked you to notice on that slide. You might recall that Jesus had sent out two of His apostles, and they had asked, where are we to make ready for the celebration of the Passover? And the Lord gave them some interesting instructions. You'll meet a man carrying a pitcher of water following, and where he takes you, you speak to the man who owns it about using it for the celebration of the Passover, and he'll let you do it. I'm paraphrasing part of what's in Mark 14. But they did that and found it to be exactly as the Lord had said that it would. And so, sure enough, that evening, they gathered and they celebrated the Passover. Now, the Passover, as I've already noted, was a very old matter to them for from, since the days of Moses. God had revealed it. He had made it known to them. And as they celebrated it that night, You and I recall in the description of the book of Exodus, chapter 12, there are several things that involved a lamb, typically. It involved spices and herbs. It involved unleavened bread, and certainly liquid, of course, to be drunk as well. But, during the course of that Passover celebration, as recorded in the Gospel accounts, we notice that Jesus took the unleavened bread and then did something unusual. He offered a prayer for it. Thanksgiving to God for this bread, but not just that. He made a statement that went something like this. I've written it for your consideration directly at the top of this next slide. Jesus told them, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Now that, of course, was wholly unexpected. That is not a part of the typical, traditional, usual Passover service that they no doubt had known all their life. Jesus took some of that unleavened bread. He didn't take the spices. He didn't take the Passover lamb. He didn't take the other elements, at that time at least. And with that, he said, this is my body. This is to be a lasting, perpetual memorial of my body. Now, you may notice again He told them, you take and eat it. Clearly, they were going to ingest this. They were going to digest it as their bodily functions went on. But as we're about to see shortly, it certainly had far more significance than just physical nourishment to the body. But not only did Jesus do that, He also took a cup. Now, it had fruit of the vine in it. And as he took that cup, he again made another interesting, unusual expression. I've asked you to note it in the slide. He offered a prayer of thanks for it. But in so doing, you'll notice this statement that he made relative to the contents of that cup. He said, "'Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins.'" And at this point, we thus observe, he had taken these two rather remarkable and yet directed elements, the fruit of the vine and the unleavened bread, and he had attached a lasting significance to himself. One representative of his blood, the other representative of his body. And you'll notice again that he issued to them, you take of it. Every one of you, take of it. He had said that with respect, you see, to that fruit of the vine. And as the Lord had made those statements again, there were many particular matters that took place during the course of the typical Jewish celebration of the Passover. And yet the Lord had instituted this Lord's Supper memorial as a part of it. The next statement I've invited you to consider on the slide is this one. The Lord made another statement. A statement that truly is fascinating. May I invite you to note exactly the way he worded it? I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You and I remember that, again, this took place on a Wednesday. The Lord would be crucified the next morning. You and I recall three days later on that Sunday morning... He would rise again, and from that day, they were to count 49 days, and then the church would be established. That was the day of Pentecost. The beauty of then that series of seven Sundays. Now, in light of all of that, you and I recognize the Lord had here said something. In the kingdom of God, which you and I recognize to be the church, based on Matthew 16, Jesus was saying to them, this was to be a lasting and perpetual and meaningful memorial that's going to be in the church. Notice he didn't talk about heaven. And so you and I, the blessed recipients of these wonderful promises, every Lord's Day we continue to celebrate this Lord's Supper, participating in it, partaking of it, and all the significances that go with it, some of which we'll discuss a bit later this morning. As you and I close that slide, may I then invite you to note several later occurrences in the New Testament remind us of the seriousness with which the first century disciples considered the Lord's Supper. For instance, in Acts 2, verse 42, the very first day the church began, the birthday of the church, this statement is found. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayer. Did you notice? Breaking of bread is there listed. A reference to the Lord's Supper. The very first day, which again was a Sunday, those first Christians that are listed in that chapter, they had the blessedness of partaking of the Lord's Supper. In Acts chapter 20, verse number 7 we find that here on the third missionary journey, Paul arrived at the city of Troas. And in that place, the text expressly says, the brethren came together to break bread. It was a primary reason for the assembly. We don't come together just for a conversation. As pleasant as that can be, as enjoyable as it can be, that's not the primary reason we come together on Sunday. One of the prime reasons is the partaking of the Lord's Supper. The brethren in Troas did it that way. It is such a highlight to our assembly. It's true that we honor the various aspects of worship and we look forward to participating in them and one of them is the partaking of the Lord's Supper. Later on, you find the church at Corinth. Of course, they partook of it. There were some problems with their partaking of it, admittedly, but they at least recognized the importance of, in some ways that went with it. Having at least reminded ourselves of the institution of the Lord's Supper, we now come to some observations. That is to say, things that you and I might well note about the partaking of the Lord's Supper that can be meaningful to us, that can in some cases be challenging to us. Let's begin that discussion with this. First, the word communion. It may be you and I have heard or used the word communion As it relates to the Lord's Supper, that's a perfectly biblical usage. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, as we hear the inspired apostle ask these interesting questions The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And here, Paul, as he addressed the church at Corinth, he directly asked them, This fruit of the vine which we take, isn't it the communion of the blood of Christ? This unleavened bread which we break, isn't it the communion of the body of Christ? And so the word communion is a powerful word. It has to do with fellowship. It has to do with sharing. It has to do with a commonness connected to what is under discussion. When you and I thus partake of the Lord's Supper... We are sharing the most intimate and remarkably foundational elements in all of Christianity. We're doing it not only with one another, but the text says it's the communion of the body and blood of Christ. We are sharing in the Lord's, what, he, what His death brought about. We are sharing in the intimacy and the connectedness with which He came to this earth for the, mess, for the purpose which He did. He came that people might be saved. He came to bring about the gospel message and to execute the nature of it. And those who have responded in faith to it have the privilege of being participants in that wonderful memorial. It is perhaps noting that, that one last thing might be this. I call to your attention, again, Matthew 26, verse 29. Jesus said, I will not partake of it until I take of it with you and you in my Father's kingdom. When we partake of this Lord's Supper, I hope we are recognizing the fact that we're partaking of it with the Lord. It is an emblem of sharing, being directly connected to Him. Now that's a rather powerful thought, isn't it? It is an understanding that connects through the ages, to what you and I are privileged to do on those occasions when we partake of that Lord's Supper. We certainly never do it with arrogance. We never do it with selfishness. We never do it with an air of pointing only to self because after all, the Lord said that must not be the attitude that one uses. But what about observation number two? In addition to this matter of communion, would you consider this with me? We noted this in passing earlier, but maybe it's time to highlight it. Partly the reason I say that is because of the Corinthian church. The primary focus of the Lord's Supper is not physical nourishment for the body. May I invite you to notice 1 Corinthians 11, and look at the feature that is the description of how those folks in Corinth were partaking of it. Let me read verse 21 and 22. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper. And one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. It's easy enough to, to gain the image, isn't it? Here's a situation where the church in Corinth... It was such that as they came together, they were each bringing their own meal. Can you imagine bringing McDonald's Happy Meal and using that as a part of the Lord's Supper? Or bringing your own fruits and vegetables, your own um, um, appreciations, if you will, from your house. And it was in that context Paul said, don't you have houses to eat in? That's not the purpose of the Lord's Supper. That's not its primary focus. In fact, you may have noticed in verse number 21, there were some who were somewhat better off. And so they brought things and others didn't have to bring. And so there were some that were hungry, there were others that were not. There were some who, in fact, were filled with drink and others were not. Paul said, this is not the idea of the Lord's Supper that's not its focus that's not the way the lord instituted it and it's not the purpose for which he instituted it now stating that takes me back to that slide you and i too then have to be mindful that as we partake of the lord's supper it is to be taken not as a recognition of blessing and nourishment for the physical body but it is critical to the soul it's absolutely vital to the soul without a proper appreciation of connection to the Lord's Supper, the soul is not only sick, but it's going to eventually die. And it'll do so in light of the worthiness that goes with life. In fact, could I invite you to note verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 11. In the very same context, Paul said this, For this cause, the very abuse of the Lord's Supper, for this cause, look at what happened. Many are weak. And sickly. May I tell to each of us, because the Word of God does, if our partaking of the Lord's Supper is not right, it signifies a terminal spiritual illness. It's as if a doctor can look at this and say, by diagnosis, here is a problem. If you and I are not partaking of the Lord's Supper as we should, there is an underlying cause sickness and weakness is going to go along with it. And let me now close the verse, verse 30, and many sleep. That is to say, they died in this condition. They lived their life and they reached the point of consummation, if you please, of it, and they died in this condition. That's no compliment. That's serious. The partaking of the Lord's Supper, again, doesn't take very long in terms of time. It's a few minutes at most, but it signifies something so much more. It indicates a mind attuned to the frequency of the Lord and spiritual matters that are of significance and our desire to ever keep them in the way that God would wish us to do it. I hope we never do it habitually, out of ritual, just to see how quickly we can get it over with. Because again, if that's the way it is, we're sick, spiritually and that weakness is only going to worsen if we don't make some changes the Lord's Supper is a highlight set of moments let's look at number three in addition to these two lessons what about the third one I've listed it as particulars you and I have every right to see with sweetness the elements that the Lord chose remember there were other things that were part of that Passover meat herbs Spices? The Lord didn't pick any of them. He did not use them to institute the Lord's Supper. He used unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. Now, you and I recognize many significances that may go with them and the other biblical importance attached to each one of them. But I would simply use this time to offer this. That unleavened bread, in its purity, remember, no leaven in it which came to signify sinfulness, the Lord had no sin. He had never once fallen astray in that regard. And in so doing, that unleavened bread is a perfect symbol for His body, the fruit of the vine. How often in the Old Testament did it signify the bringing of life, as it did in Isaiah 65, and as it did in Psalm 104. And yet, it too is a recognition that through the blood of Christ, there is life. Hadn't the Old Testament taught us in Leviticus 17, 11, The life is in the blood. And that fruit of the vine represents the blood of our Lord. Surely, then, you and I would never wish to tamper with those elements, to change them and make the Lord's Supper consist of something else. For surely, we couldn't scripturally do that. And yet sometimes there are those who have at least had those ideas. Let's look at point number four, the word remembrance. I recognize full well that Jesus had used that word with respect to His institution, this do in remembrance of me. There are many times that the actual table, that is the Lord's table, has those words etched on its front and ours does too. This do in remembrance of me. The word remember is an important word, isn't it? How often does the Bible encourage us to remember things? Do you recall Leviticus, or rather Luke 17, 32? Remember Lot's wife. In other words, that record found in the book of Genesis, just as one example, has etched in it lasting and unchanging truths. Lot's wife made a mistake. cost her her life. Jesus said, In the very same way, you remember Lot's wife, but note he used the word remember. May I say, the word remember is connected to the Lord's Supper. As we thus partake of that Lord's Supper, it's very important that we remember. We remember the Lord's body. We remember that which He endured. We remember the shedding of His blood and that which it purchased. We remember the very salvation that's ours because of this. It is not an idle set of moments. Interestingly enough, you may notice in the essence of remembrance come some of those things I've asked you to note again. When Paul addressed the abuse of the Lord's Supper in the church at Corinth, one of the words he insisted upon them is found in verse 24. Remembrance. Apparently, again, they were bringing their own meal. They were just having a, uh, a time of frivolity and a time of just a common meal, you and I would call it. And Paul said, that's not the emphasis of this. You and I can go to the back, and at a time not worshipful, we can enjoy a fellowship meal together, and that's fine. But you and I would never want to take that meal and bring it in here and use that as a part of the worship. It isn't authorized, The Word of God doesn't approve of such a thing. This idea of remembrance points us then to lesson that is number five, proclamation. Aren't you impressed that in the Lord's Supper, we not only look back in the way of remembrance, but we look forward in the way of proclamation. In verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, this interesting statement is found. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death till He come. And so as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming something. We are shouting it for all the world to see. We believe that Jesus lived and died, and that He died the way the Bible said He did, and that He died for the purpose that the Bible said He did, and this is our continual and constant and weekly association with that event, declaring to one and all, we believe these things, and we are determined to do it as consistently and faithfully as He demanded. What a powerful proclamation. And so again, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, that proclamation is a gentle and powerful statement, fulfilling many verses of the Bible. In Zechariah 13, for example, that fount for cleansing was opened outside Jerusalem, and so our sins are cleansed by virtue of what is symbolized in that fruit of the vine. One by one, as we've looked at these observations connected to the Lord's Supper, it is true that we have, for one thing, noted the many features that go with it, but I've saved this one until last. There's another aspect of verses that come, beginning in verse number 27, and this is the one that was read in our our, uh, reading today. As Brother Stan read it for our consideration, may I invite you to look at it with me again. Paul now invests several verses, and may I read all of them. I'll start in verse 27. And remember, as the church in Corinth was struggling in its abuse of the Lord's Supper, this is the way Paul addressed it. That takes us through verse number 30. And the language was very direct, wasn't it? Put yourself into the place of that church in Corinth. When they first heard this read, I wonder how they reacted. The impressions of the book of 2 Corinthians indicate they recognized their error. They made some changes, proper repentance, and proceeded to partake of that Lord's Supper much more approvedly and much more acceptably. But let's step through this somewhat briefly with verse 27 and following. So, Paul pointed out, "...whoever eats and drinks the cup of the Lord and does so unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord." We might need to take careful note that the word unworthily is an adverb. It is not an adjective. It does not describe the character of the person. It describes the action the person is doing. May I be quick to say, none of us will ever be worthy of the Lord's Supper. We can't be. We're sinners. But we can partake of it worthily. There's a big difference. And so as we partake of it, may we again recognize the need to remember and to proclaim and to not allow ourselves to become sidetracked, daydreaming about lunch or ball games or even work. There are other times for that. I know that can be a challenge, but may we recognize the significance of it and the insistence that the Bible puts before us. Some people find it helpful to close your eyes and bow your head. Maybe that reduces the tendency of distraction. If so, follow that. Others are able to visualize the cross and the Lord on it. If that works, do that. To help us remain focused upon the body and the blood of the Lord. The next verse goes on to say, let a man examine himself and let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So examination is a vital part of this. Examining, am I reflecting upon the nature of the cross, the character of the body and blood of the Lord, and in that process, that will no doubt have a great significance for the way I view myself. If the Lord did that for me, Can I not live for Him? It will motivate us rather greatly, won't it? If that's what the Lord did for me, then should I not give my best to live for Him? The next verse then says this Verse 29 He that eateth and drinketh unworthily. So the person who does this, maybe even with deliberation, Who allows the Lord's Supper in this time to pass and does not partake of it reflecting upon the discernment of the Lord's body and blood? The text says the person eats and drinks damnation to themselves. That's harsh, isn't it? But doesn't that remind us that if Jesus could go to the cross for us, He expects the least we can do is to take of this observance in a proper reflection of Him. So may we never do it flippantly, trivially, insignificantly, in such a way, you see, that it's just a passage of a few moments and let's get on to something else. Because if we do it that way, we're spiritually sickly and we're spiritually weak. The cross doesn't mean to us what it should. The death of the Lord doesn't mean to us what it ought. That statement, damnation, literally is the Greek word for judgment may I say to you that we in essence are putting ourselves in a position to be judged for that failure. It is with that that we close that slide like this. The closing statement of verse 29 then reads as follows. Not discerning the Lord's body. What does the word discern mean? To rightly appropriate, to rightly appreciate, to rightly consider. In fact, as you give thought to that particular slide, it means to distinguish, to separate. One of the failures that you and I learned about the children of Israel, the Old Testament was this. There would come a time when Ezekiel would directly challenge them, you have not made the separation between the holy and the common. They treated holy things as if they were common. They didn't look with specialness and sacredness upon certain things which God had declared to be in that category. May I offer the thought that we could fail in that regard when it comes to the Lord's Supper. The church in Corinth was treating it like a common meal. They were treating it with a wholeness and separation very different than what it was supposed to be. Today, I know that you and I would desire to approach that Lord's Supper in a way that is properly and beautifully described in the Bible, because we know that's not only the proper reflection upon the Lord, but it's so meaningful to us. As we come to the close of this particular lesson this morning, we've looked at another fundamental, the Lord's Supper. And on that slide, we very briefly summarize some of that which we've considered. We looked in some detail at the institution of the Lord's Supper and the interesting way the Lord did it. A few hours before he died, he put in place a memorial that was to last to the end of time. As far as some things involved in it, communion with him and with other Christians. So you and I know that a person not a member of the body wouldn't be expected to partake of it and couldn't do so lawfully. Not only that issue in communion, we came to appreciate in it the matter that it's not for physical nourishment. It's for spiritual nourishment and a symbol of that great element. In the third place, we reflected upon the matter of the particulars being the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. We highlighted the need to remember. We looked with interest at the features connected to the proclamation that it makes and how important it is for us to take it worthily. Today, if you can't partake of it worthily, there could be one of two reasons. One... You have never become a Christian. You have never allowed yourself to be immersed in contact His blood and thus to live in a way in which you are a part of His body. But if we could help you do that today, we'd be delighted to do that. May I say that as you seek to approach that, that would require your belief in the Lord, repentance of your sins, confession in His name, and baptism for the remission of your sins. If we could assist you in that way, as I said, it'd be our delight. The other reason, though, that you might not be able to partake of it as you would wish would be because you're a wayward child of God. You once had partaken of it in faith and in honesty and with great meaning. But maybe over the course of time, it has become a habit. Maybe even service in general to the Lord has become a habit. Maybe you've reached the time wherein the service is... And the Bible as a whole are not as meaningful as you know they should be today. If we could help you in being rededicated to the cause of the Christ, it'd be our earnest desire to help you. We could do that by way of upon your acknowledgement of those sins and confession and repentance. We'd be happy to pray for you today. If we could help in any way, in either of these ways, we'd love to do that while together we stand and while we sing.